0: Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're glad that you are joining with us. Those of you here as well as those uh, at the campuses who joined by video. God bless all of you guys as we are in the book of 1 Samuel. Reading the story of uh, Eli and his sons. Um, We just learned about Samuel. This was the little boy that uh, the lady prayed for. And God blessed her with a son. And then when he was weaned, he brought him right to the temple. And gave him to God, and God started anointing him, and God was using him. And uh, uh, we're in chapter 4 of uh, 1 Samuel. Verse 1, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. Now we're about to see God's uh, fulfillment of the prophecy against Eli and his sons. His sons were two rascals. And, uh, disobeying God and seducing women that came to worship. I mean, these guys were a bad scene. Uh, Eli didn't do anything about it. He talked to his sons. And, uh, and what I think so many people don't understand is when someone's acting very badly, be it male or female, talking doesn't do much. Talking is blah, 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 Okay. Uh. And uh, this is a problem I've been teaching uh, about consequences in the kingdom of God and how there's supposed to be consequences in the church for very bad behavior. I'm advocating there should be consequences in marriages, in relationships. Uh, This idea that men and women should just tolerate everything and just submit and be patient and pray is ludicrous nonsense. And there needs to be consequences. The sooner, the better, in my opinion. I'll be preaching more about that on Sundays, but... uh, um, this is what happens when you just go and you talk and he explained and he talked to his sons and why it was wrong and showed them why it was wrong, but yet it did nothing and God held him responsible for not getting through to his sons. Because when bad behavior is acting up, the only people thing under people understand are consequences to the behavior. words mean little to nothing. So uh, the prophet prophesied doom on his two sons that so they would die in the same day and that also... Eli is going to die, and all this judgment is going to hit, and his whole family is going to be cursed from here on out. Bad deal here. So, anyway, we're starting to see this come to pass. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. Well, the Israelites camped at Ebenezer, and and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines have deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Israelites, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Bad day for Israel. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel were stunned. You know, where was God? Why wasn't God with us? God, they were used to going to battle, uh, trusting in God, and God would give them victories. And they say, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? And so they're trying to figure this out. So they figured what they needed was some kind of talisman, some kind of uh, thing, an object that would be more holy and God would be with them. And of course, the most effective thing, the holiest thing that they had, was the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. This is the thing you remember Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Ark. This is what was in the Ark was the Ten Commandments and all the things. This is this is when the power of God was so powerful in Israel, uh, and they had this incredible Ark of the Covenant. And they said, "Well, let's bring that. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us because of the Ark of the Covenant." uh is with us then there's no way uh we can go wrong but no things can still go wrong you know people still kind of do this today they they think that they can ignore one part of the bible and make it up with another part of the bible you know i think of guys you know like jimmy swaggart who uh was uh you know, involved in the sexual sin up to his eyeballs, but he thought, "Well, I'll just pray more and I'll just fast more." And, and rather than confessing his sin, the Bible says, "Confess your sins one to one another." He wouldn't confess it; he didn't let anybody know. And see, the minute you start disobeying one part of the Bible, the devil's got you. And you can work overtime and all the other stuff, but you're still gonna, it's still gonna—it's still not gonna work for you. A lot of people do that; they'll disobey God in one area of their life and they'll think, oh, "I'll make it up with another area of life." Man, don't think like that. Just get it right. When God shows you something, get it right. And don't think, well, I'll, God will tolerate that and I'll make it up, you know, I'll give more money the offering or something. Or I'll pray more, I'll fast more, i do all these other things. Uh, as in Swaggart's case and so many of the people, much greater number than he, uh, have learned that it just doesn't work. You need to obey God in all areas of your life as God makes his truth known to you. It's one thing if you don't know until the Holy Spirit makes known to you, then hey, then you need to deal with it. So they thought, well, this this will be this will be great. I'll, we're just going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us, you know, and uh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Again, I keep thinking of Indiana Jones. You know, that's, remember the Nazis wanted the Ark of the Covenant, so they went into battle. I don't like quoting because it's not a true story. But anyway, that's where they got all this stuff from. It's not like this actually happened. It's not. It was a movie. Oh, but these elements came from the Old Testament. You know, that these guys, if they had the Ark with us when they went to battle, then God would be with them and they couldn't lose, all that kind of stuff. So this is what they thought. So the people sent men to Shiloh and uh, they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, you know, the two cherubim on either end. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, these dirty rotten scoundrels, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that all the ground shook. Whoa, now they're excited. Now there's revival. woo Everybody's praising God. So much so that the ground shook. Oh, now we'll just, we'll just shout our way to victory. No. No. You can shout. You can twirl. You can dance. You can jig. You can fall. You can stand. You can levitate around the room for all I care. But it's that going to make up for doing the right thing. Somebody say amen. I think, wow, well, we just shout more. We just get more excited. no, 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 The problem is that they were sinning against God, and nobody was taking it seriously. But here comes the camp, and they, they just had a hoedown. Big old revival, had a big organ out there. Everything it was just jamming, you know. That was a joke. <laughs> revival means you got to have an organ to have a revival. See, you guys are too young. That's your problem. Geezers like me, remember, man, you couldn't have revival if you didn't have a big old organ just rocking and rolling. Everybody be shouting. It's great fun. Anyway, hearing the op- uproar, I mean, the ground shook. That's a lot of yelling and shooting and hollering, and you know, the ground from thousands of people just going nuts. Well, the Philistines heard this and said, "What's all this shouting at the Hebrew camp? What are they so excited about?" And when they learned that the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Lord, had come into the camp, they were afraid. We're doomed. We're doomed. A god has come into the camp, they said, we're in trouble. <laughs> we gotta know. Nothing like this has happened before. They never brought out the Ark of the covenant. This is bad news. This is bad. News. Even they were freaked out. Whoa to us. Who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. See, these people hadn't forgotten. The, 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 the history, the reports of what happened in Egypt was well known throughout that place for a long time this has been a long time since Moses and the children of Israel came out of Egypt but man all the nations around there still remember what had happened when God was with them and they feared it greatly well so they're all freaking out this is the God who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert so then some of the guys finally you know said alright guys man up be strong, be strong Philistines be men, get a backbone grow up, never mind anyway, you know, be be men because if you don't, you're going to be subject to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Be men and fight. Doesn't matter. I was like, be men, you got to be real men. So they get them all ginned up. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. Ooh, man, 30. The first time it was four. Now they're getting religious. They're getting religious, praise God. We've got revival going. We're yelling shouting, hallelujah. We've got them holy stuff coming out. And this had 30,000 of them bit the dust. Ow! Why? Because you can't ignore God, by I think you're going to be holier in another area. Can't ignore righteousness and think, well, I'll make it up some other area. I'll just shout, praise God, pretend. A lot of people come to church, pretend, play, play in church. They live like hell outside the church. doors, But they get inside all of a they get religion, you know, and they get all holy. And they're fooling themselves. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. This is bad news. Now, this has never happened before. The Ark of the Covenant is captured, and Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, the dirty, rotten scoundrels, died, as was prophesied. It was going to happen. Well, that day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh. His clothes were torn, dust was on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli, sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching. Because his heart feared, not for his sons, but for the Ark of God. He was very concerned. He was a holy man. He, he, by the way, there's no indication that he had done anything wrong. It was his sons. Why guilt fell on him is because he didn't get in the sons' faces and make them stop. Again, heavy stuff. So he's worried. Man, the ark, where's the ark, where's the ark? When a man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town set up a cry. And Eli heard the outcry. He said, well, what's the meaning of this uproar? And the man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old at this time, and whose eyes were set so that he could not see. And he told Eli, I've just come from the, from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. And Eli asked, what happened to my son? And the man brought the news. who brought the news replied, well, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the Ark of God has been captured. Well, when they said Hophni and Phinehas' his two sons were dead, he didn't respond much to that. But it says in the next verse when he mentioned the Ark of God had been captured, that stunned Eli. And he fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate, and he broke his neck and died, for he was an old man and heavy. A little too many bratwursts back then. <laughs> but it was, it was God's judgment on him. And he had led Israel for 40 years. Well, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant. And uh, near the time of delivery, when she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. Uh, she goes into labor and gave birth, but she was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying... The woman attending her said, don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She was completely out of it. She was dying. She named the boy Ichabod, meaning uh, the glory has departed. No glory. Saying the glory has departed from Israel. I see the word Ichabod remind of Ichabod Crane in the Sleepy Hollow story. I don't know why my head keeps going to these movies, but that's... Ichabod Crane, yes, Ichabod. He was an ugly guy, that's what he's called, Ichabod. The glory had departed. So the glory had departed from Israel because of the capture of the Ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the Ark of God has been captured. Check it out. She's she's more upset that the Ark of the Covenant, even she was more upset than the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, this was a major, the major uh, national identity was the Ark of the Covenant this this was huge and now it's gone in the hands of the enemy well after the Philistines chapter 5 after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and of course these guys are happy I mean they are one happy bunch of Philistines man this is awesome this is awesome the Ark of the Covenant comes out and we still beat them slaughtered them and now we got the Ark of the Covenant Whoo-hoo! So they carried it, the ark, into their temple. It was Dagon was the name of their god. Dagon's temple. And set it beside Dagon. So Here they come in, and here's big old yo Mama Dagon. And they set the ark of the covenant next, next to Dagon. And they thought, this, this is awesome. <laughs> I love this. God has really got to have a fabulous sense of humor. It says, because when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, they walk in there, and there's Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. <laughs> that's pretty funny and they thought what the heck so they dragged this idol they put it back up put it back in his place but the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon again fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord this time his head and his hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold only his body remained and then the little parenthetical statement here he says that's why to this day, of course, it was a long time ago, neither the priests of Dagon Or any others who entered Dagon's temple step on the threshold so so it became tradition that when uh they'd enter they they'd have to step over the threshold they wouldn't even step on it because to them it was holy because of the stupid idol, bunch of nitwits but uh because of that day that they came in and his his head and his hands were laying on the threshold, and you know so they're freaking out because God keeps knocking over. Of the idols and worshiping in front of the ark. Well, the Lord's hand was very heavy upon the people of Ashdod uh, and its vicinity. And he brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. So people are getting sick and dogs. sicker and dogs, okay? And people are breaking out with these tumors and stuff. Another translation adds that also and rats appeared in their land and death and destruction were throughout the city. I don't know why I didn't make it into this translation, but we'll find in a little bit that Rats were a big part of this. So uh, not only are they breaking out in tumors, they got this big old yo mama stinking rats are popping up everywhere. And it's tormenting people and they're just carrying death and destruction. I mean, just the whole city is going in the toilet because the Ark of the covenant's in the city. Well, when the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the Ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What are we going to do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, well, have the ark of God of Israel move to Gath. (laughs) Well, if I'm from Gath, I would not be happy with this scenario. So let me get this straight. You're moving this because around you there's nothing but death and destruction, so you want to bring it to our house. Yes, that's what we'd like to do. So they moved the ark of the covenant... Of God to visit. So they bring it to, to Gath. But after they had moved it, now the Lord's anger was against that city, throwing it into great panic. And he afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Again, but an older translation also adds the phrase with tumors in the groin area. Oh, man. So this is bad news. First time, there's rats everywhere. There's tumors. Now these guys are getting tumors right in the Ho Chi Mama area. So he afflicted all these people, and they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. (laughs) Again, if I'm from Ekron, two ties. I ain't taking that thing. Well, as the Ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, (laughs) do you think? They brought the ark of God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. So they're freaking out. So these guys had sense. They finally got the picture here. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death has, had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. So, I mean, wherever this thing went, everyone in that city, it was just death and destruction. So those who did not die were afflicted with tumors. So that, you know, if you didn't die, the good news is you had tumors in your groin. When that's a good day, that's a, that's a bad situation. And the outcry of the city went up to heaven, I bet. Miserable. Well, when the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and diviners. These, uh, you know, the ooh, spiritists and said what are we going to do with the ark of the Lord tell us how we should send it back to its place and they come up with this answer I said well if you return the ark of the God of Israel do not send it away empty but by all means send a guilt offering to him why would they get that because you know they heard about the laws of Moses again people were hearing about different cultures around them and they knew the law of Moses said that if you sin against God you need to offer an offering so they said well offer you know, don't send it back We don't want any more plagues here. This is a drag. All right. You know, uh, send a guilt offering along. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. So the Philistines asked, well, what kind of guilt offering should we send? And they replied, well, make five gold tumors. (laughs) and, And five gold rats. See, the the older translation was more accurate. The rats were part of the problem as well. So they they, they said, take, you know, because you're you're being punished with tumors and rats. So make these things and make gold objects of of these things. According to the number of the Philistine rulers. I wish they had five, I believe. Yeah, five gold for each one. Yep. Uh, Because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. And make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and pharaohs did? Don't be stupid. We saw what happened to Pharaoh. You know, these guys were a lot smarter than Pharaoh. Pharaoh, there's something wrong with that boy, I'm telling you. When he treated them harshly, did they not send the Israelites so they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready and do it like this. Take two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Now check it out. Uh, If they've never been yoked, it's hard to put a yoke on them. Okay, you got to kind of break them, train them, whatever. He says, so get two that has never happened, and then two that just have had babies because their inclination will be they'll want to be with their calves. Okay, in other words, they're making it hard. So, so hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Then take the Ark of the Lord, put it on the cart, get rid of that thing, and put a chest beside it with the gold objects, the rats and tumors, uh, that you're sending back as a guilt offering send it on its way, but keep watching it If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh and going to Israel Then you know the Lord has brought this great disaster on us, but if it does not Then we will know that what has happened was uh, It was not his hand that struck us and that has happened to us by chance In other words, we just happen to get tons of tumors in the groin and a lot of rats All right so they really make it hard. So these cows now, who've, who've never been taught to pull anything, they put the yoke on them, they take away their calves that they just have, they've got them penned up, everything in the natural should be, they're not going to be able to pull this thing and they're going to turn and go to their calves. So they said, we're, we're making this hard. If these, if, this, if these cows will just go, then we know that this is God and he wants this thing back in Israel. All right, so they did this. They took two such cows, hitched them to the cart, penned up their calves. They placed the Ark of the Lord on the cart and along with a ch- uh, chest containing the gold rats and the model of tumors. <laughs> it should be pretty weird to Israel when they opened this thing. What is this? It looks like a tumor. I mean, I don't know. You know. There's rats in here. I don't know what the deal is. So anyway, so then the cows took off. And they went. And they went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. But they kept going. They did not turn to the right or to the left. And the ruler of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, well, they rejoiced at their sight. I mean, they were thrilled. All of a sudden, here comes the Ark of the Covenant, with a couple of cows pulling it. And the cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And there it stopped beside a large rock. Well, the people chopped up the wood of the cart, and they sacrificed the cows, bad day for the cows, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the Ark of the Lord, together with a chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw this and then they returned that same day to Akron. So they're watching this. So the people are celebrating. This is great. This is fabulous. They can take the Ark of the Covenant. They uh, take the wood from the ark thing to chop up the cows and burn them up to God and offer it, the whole deal. Uh, now, there were some guys that when they saw the Ark were so thrilled that they, they opened it up and they looked inside to see what was in the Ark. Okay? How do I know that? They're about to tell us. All right? Now, this is not a good thing. You did not mess. I mean, these guys knew this was really holy stuff. You do not mess with God on this stuff. Anyway, it goes on. and says, these are the gold tumors. The Philistines sent as guilt offerings to the Lord. One for Ashdon, Gaz, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. These, these five guys. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of the Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers. The fortified towns within their country village. So they had f- apparently f- uh, five big tumors and then apparently a whole bunch of rats. Uh, the large rock on which they set the Ark of the Lord as a witness to this stays in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord. So these 70 guys who had looked in, and they had this, all of a sudden they all of a sudden get stricken, and now they're all dead. 70, and it was every one of the guys who had looked into the Ark. Well, of course, that freaks everybody out. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord? This... This holy God, I mean, this, this is serious stuff. To whom will the ark go up from here? So while there's no plague coming, they knew this is still scary stuff. Do not mess with this thing. Then they sent messengers to the people of Cariath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your place. So the, these guys come down and they took the ark of the Lord and they took it to Abinadad's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. <sighs> Alright, so that's that story Now it was a long time, 20 years in all That the ark remained at Cariath at Jerim And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord And Samuel, who is now the major voice uh, to God, to the people uh, Eli is dead and his sons And Samuel, who had been serving God since he was a little boy All this time was leading them he says to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and have the Asherahs. These were poles and stuff, these worships uh, of, of these worship, God, foreign gods that they would worship. And uh, commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and the Asherahs and serve the Lord only. So they come, a, a spirit of repentance falls on the people. They're crying out to God, asking God to forgive them for all their horrible sins. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard the Israelites had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered up as a burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out uh, to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Now while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. So here they come. They're saying, Don't stop worshiping. Keep worshiping God for us. Cry out to God for us. We'll face these guys, but don't stop. So he kept Doing this, and then as the Philistine army draws near, and these guys would come by the tens of thousands, uh, that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were routed before the Israelites. So all of a sudden, this massive thundering sounds just starts crashing out of the heavens and is just freaking the willies out of these Philistines. They don't know what in the world's going on, so they all start freaking out and running. Well, the men of Israel rushed. Uh, out of Mesbah and pursued the Philistines slaughtering them along the way to a point below uh, Beth-car that's just south of Stephen's point uh, then uh, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mesbah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer uh, which means stone of help saying thus far has the Lord helped us so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again throughout Samuel's lifetime the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines the towns from Ekron to Gath and the Philistines had captured from Israel were now restored to her. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mezpah judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah where his home was. And there he also judged Israel and he built an altar of to the lord there so he basically becomes the ruler of israel the judge of israel and he was on a circuit and he'd go from one place and then he'd go to the next this was their version of campus churches you know they didn't have satellites so they'd go to one place and then he'd go over to the other and hang with those guys for a while and then he'd go over to the other and hang with them and then he'd come back to them and this was his routine as uh as he ministered to the people okay now chapter eight when samuel grew old he appointed his sons as judges for israel the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, Beersheba. Uh, but his sons did not walk in his ways, and they turned aside after dishonest gain, and they were taking bribes from people, and they were perverting justice. Remember, they were supposed to be judges. They were supposed to be the ones that people could go to to get uh, justice in Israel. Well, these guys were taking bribes. They became corrupted. Well, by this time, all, you know, Israel had kind of had it with the whole judges system. Uh, although that's really what God wanted them to have. But uh, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, listen, you're old. Your sons don't walk your way. They're a mess already. Let's go a different direction. Appoint a king to lead us. Such as all the other nations have. Uh, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen, to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now we're going to see here, God is going to give them uh, what they ask for, even though God did not want him, want them to have a king. Okay, And he says to Samuel, look, don't take this personally, it's me that they're rejecting. God wanted to be their king. God really wanted a nation that had no king but God. And this would stand out to all the nations of the world. This is a different deal. This is a different group of people. I mean, so different. I mean, everything about the whole law of Moses and the way they lived and the way they ate and everything was to make them a different people on the face of the earth. Totally separate to God. And and that's what God wanted. Well, eventually these guys couldn't take it anymore. Uh, They were tired of of the system of judges. Again... Certainly not without some uh, reason. I mean, they they were having problems with some of these guys, and already with Samuel's sons they were having problems. But this this displeased Samuel and the Lord. But check it out. Back up to Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, uh, and verse 14. Remember, Deuteronomy is the uh, the final speech that Moses gave. And by the way, if, if you read Deuteronomy, it is brilliantly spoken. It is extremely articulate. It is a summary of their whole experience as a nation and what God had done. Keep in mind, this is the very man who God told to go and ask for Israel to be free to tell to to, uh, Egypt, let my people go. And uh, remember, he he wouldn't talk. He he was afraid to talk, uh, couldn't speak very well. He refused to do it. So give me somebody else who can talk for me. And he sent, you know, uh, what's his name? Aaron to talk for him. And uh, uh, so, but but by the time he gets to hear, look how incredibly articulate he has been. I mean, it, this experience transformed this guy into an incredible articulate leader. That's the neat. That's the miracle of Deuteronomy. Is when you look at the beginning. He was so hesitant and not wanting to go because he was so in, un, insecure about speaking. Remember at one point, God was going to kill Moses because he was, he was ticking him off with this I don't want to do it nonsense. And, and then look at the difference. It's, it's truly amazing. But check it out. So Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the people and Moses prophesies to the, to the nation. He says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you. This is in uh, chapter 17, verse 14. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, given you and and have taken possession of it and settled in it and you will say let us set a king over us like all the nations around us and then he tells them be sure to appoint over you the king the lord your god chooses i mean so they god knew this was going to happen moses prophesied it he says, what's going to happen is you're going to get there you're going to get impatient you're going to want a king at least when you get the king you know do pick the king that god says to pick Very interesting deal. So this finally now happens all these years later. Back over to 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. Um, So so God says to Samuel, listen, in verse 7, it's not you they rejected, but they rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, they're always forsaken me, serving other gods, so they're doing now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them, will do. Now part of the problem here, is that when you have a king, now you have to be subject to the king. At this point, it's a nation that is free of a king, and they serve only God. Incredible freedom. Well they desire to want to be like the other nations, they were tired of the judges thing, but this is going to come at a price. So Samuel warns them, he tells, Samuel told all the words of the Lord, to the people who are asking him for a king. And he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He'll take your sons, And make them serve him with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants i mean he's basically saying you're gonna be paying 10 percent taxes (laughs) which by today's standard would be nothing but uh you know they weren't used to this and all of a sudden he warned us look you're you're gonna start paying taxes uh they're gonna conscript you the king says you got to do something he wants to pull your son and and draft your son into service you're not gonna be able to have a say and they're gonna build all this wealth for himself that he'll give to others and uh, your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. That's what happens when you have a king. This medieval type system. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief, for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. I'm warning you. This is what's going to happen. At some point, it will become grievous to you, burdensome to you. You will cry out to me. To, to deliver you from this king. But I'm not going to listen to you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. Despite what he said. Despite the, now after that kind of warning, I'd go, you know, let's rethink this. But not these guys. Despite the warning. They said, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. With a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Part of the problem here is they wanted to fit in with the nations around them. They want to be like the others. Again, something that we need to take care of today in our faith. You know, particularly, uh, this is a great temptation with our young people. I mean, that desire is to be so accepted by other people around you that it's a temptation for them to compromise who they are and what they believe. But it's not just to young people. This happens to lots of people of varying ages who are so concerned of what their neighbors will think, what their mom is going to think, what their relatives are going to think. They compromise their faith because they want to be so accepted by others. You have to be careful with that. You have to understand that when you make this commitment to God, you put God first. And and, and for all that it comes I mean, some people will hate you for it, others will love you for it, but it doesn't matter. We're going to serve God. We're going to put God first in our lives. That's when your life will be truly blessed by God. But make no mistake, there is this, always this temptation I just kind of want to be like everybody else. You know, I'd like I'd like to fit in a little bit more. Uh, the, the reality is, the closer you get to God, the more you mature in your faith, the further you will pull away from the life that you once knew. It's really true. You know, which is a good thing, you know. But if you're uncomfortable with that, a lot of people will hang on to the life they once knew. And they're so desperate. They still want to be accepted by the world that they came out of. And it stints their growth. They, they don't really grow. They can't really grow closer to God. They still come to the church and stuff. But they don't really want to get much different. They want to keep maintaining the old friends that they had and stuff. Let me challenge you. Let go and let God in your life. And some of you who are young to this and new to this. The more you continue to grow. You're going to find the weirder people are thinking you are. <laughs> and you will be to them. You know. Because they don't view God in the same way. And they. You know. Why would you. Why would you give money to God? Why would you do that? You know, even just doing that, they think you're in a cult for crying out loud. You know, in fact, that you're going to church. So why would you do that? You know, it might be a nice day out. You know, why would you go? To, you know, Wednesday night. You know, there's nice TV programs on. What are you doing here? You know what I'm saying? The fact that you're here on a Wednesday night makes you a wacko. All you people watching around, y'all wackos. All right. And, and, if, and if that's what you're concerned above everything else, then you won't want to be part of that culture and you'll want to be more like the world around you and it will hurt you. Anyway, so when Samuel heard all the people and said, he repeated it before the Lord, as if the Lord hadn't heard it, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel said to the men of Israel, okay, everybody go back to his town. Well, now there is was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Yeesh, these people need easier names. So anyway, this guy, Kish, had a son named Saul. He was an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites. He was a head taller than any of the other. He was a real tall boy. Everybody liked the tall guys, you know now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost and Kish said to his son Saul hey take one of the servants and go and find the stupid donkeys so he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha but he didn't find them and they went on into the district of Shalim but the donkeys were not there then he passed through the territory of Benjamin and he didn't find them and when they reached the district of Zuf Saul said to the servant who was with him let's go back my father will stop thinking about the donkeys he's not worrying about us but the servant said well look in this town there's a man of God I hear about this guy This, this is Samuel okay he's highly respected and everything he says comes true let's go there now perhaps he will tell us what way to take so they want to go to the man of God to see if the man of God has a revelation not of anything of great deep significance but do you know where the donkeys are all right this this was their they're wanting an answer from God of all the things to ask God for do you know where the donkeys are so Saul says to his servants well if we go what can we give the man the food in our sacks is gone but we have no gift to take to the man of God what do we have now this is an interesting principle too uh, and you'll see this repeated throughout the uh, Old Testament here. One thing that they learned is when you come to God, you should come with some kind of a gift, some kind of an offering, something to give thanks. This isn't something, you know, that's supposed to be oppressive and, you know, those churches are just after our money. So they didn't even think of those terms. They themselves would go, man, I wouldn't think of going to worship without offering something. I mean, this is, this, is, this is their thinking. There's a great verse that we'll run into later when we read about David where, uh, uh, you know... David wanted a, a, a place uh, to, to worship and the guy who works was at said well just take my property and David says I refuse I will not take something that doesn't cost me something to, to worship God no way would I worship God with something that doesn't cost me something it's great we'll, we'll, we'll get there and I'll, I'll show you what, what a great heart that David had but this is this is what we're thinking a little different culture than we have today you know people offering bus it goes by it's like they're giving birth <laughs> yeah, they drop the dollar in you know so anyway, the servant asked, answered him again, Look, uh, I, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so he will tell us what way. They weren't, they weren't trying to pay him off. It was as a sign of respect again and worship to God. Well, formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, Come, let us go to the seer. Because a prophet of today, what we call prophets when he's writing this, used to be called seers. So at this time they're actually called seers. Why does he tell us that? Because he's about to tell the story here, and they kept talking calling him seer. Well, good, Saul said to his servant, Come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water. And they said, Hey, where's the seer? Is the seer here? Eh, he is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now, he's just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place as soon as you enter the town you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat the people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice so everybody's waiting you know when's he gonna come when's the pastor gonna show up so we can start the picnic you know so uh, afterward those who are invited will eat so go up now you should find him about this time so they went up to the town and as they were eating it as they were eating it (laughs) started eating the town (laughs) I'm sorry as they were entering the town, not eating it, uh, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this tomorrow time tomorrow, God told him, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people for their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord spoke to him and said, this is the guy I told you about. He will govern my people. So here he is. Ooh. And Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked him, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And Samuel replies, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. In the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. And by the way, As for the donkeys, you lost three days ago. Don't worry about them. They've been found. Instantaneously, he knew what they were looking for. Isn't that cool? You know, you're coming about the donkeys. I know where the donkeys are, you nitwits. I know where the donkeys are. God knows everything. But stick around. He says, and to whom all the desire of Israel is turned, if not to you and all your family's father's family. In other words, he's saying, look, there's something special about you. And all of Israel's hope is on you. And Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite? Now, do you remember the Benjamites? Do y'all remember the Benjamites at the end of, of of Judges? This is the town where the guy with the you know concubine stops in, and the men rush on them, and they say, "Come on, have sex with us." And he said, "Here, have the girl, A little twit." And then they they rape the girl and kill the girl, and he gets mad, he chops her up, and sends her email or, or Federal Express or whatever to all the tribes and they all come together and they come to the Benjamites and say, why did you let this happen? Bring out those wicked men! And they wouldn't do it. So they attack them and they virtually eliminate from the face of the earth the tribe of Benjamin. And they're so distraught when it was done. They were so angry and caught up in the bloodletting and at the end now they felt bad because there's hardly any of them left and there's no women because they killed all the women too. Children. I mean, these guys were brutal. Barbarians by any standard. And then they figured out a way to get them some wives, so that they, you know, at least Benjamin wouldn't disappear. Well, as a result, you can imagine, compared to the other tribes who are breeding like rabbits, you know, you're way behind the curve now. And so he is part of the smallest tribe. And out of that small tribe that was salvaged after all that insanity, comes the first king of Israel. And when he starts hinting that hey, there's something special about you, he goes, "What are you talking? I'm not Benjamin. I, you know, we're nothing." We're a bunch of nothings, we're a bunch of nobodies. We're just a little tiny piece of a tribe that's left. But we will see now here how God starts using him. And it's important to note, because God will refer to this later, because Samuel eventually becomes a problem. And God at one point will say, you know, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were a nobody, when you thought you were a nobody, when you were humble, that's when I could use you. But now that you've become arrogant, I can't use you anymore. And we will read the story of Samuel or of Saul, and how he fails, and then God turns to another. Anybody know his name? David. David. And that's where we find David, who becomes king, and uh, and Jesus, who is of the, who's referred to as the son of David. Remember, now the Bible's taking a big turn, and adjustment, and they're focusing on this one family from Bethlehem called the family of David fascinating stuff uh and we're done there you have it let's have the officers come forward and we will close with our evening offering the band can come on up and there you have it again now I you know I feel bad after seeing what I said about the offering here every time you walk in the church you don't have to throw something in I'm just telling you, this was this was their attitude uh of the day, they were so reverent toward God and tried to respect God, but they always were thinking in terms of what can I give to God, of what he's blessed me, Uh, and I know a lot of you guys aren't able to come to church on Sunday, and and, uh, this is your time to be able to give of your tithes and offerings to God, that's why we take the offering on Wednesday night, let's pray, Father we thank you for your blessings and your faithfulness, help us Lord, not to be tight fisted with what we have, though it be hardly anything or great wealth. Help us to be open-handed. Help us to be grateful to you. Help us to honor you with a portion of what you have blessed us with. And we ask that you would use these finances, these resources, to strengthen the church, enable us, Lord, to be able to take this good news of the gospel of Jesus out to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all throughout this area. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.